Hello, and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. Good afternoon, District 3. This is Don Griffith, your podcast host. I'm calling in today from beautiful Sedona, Arizona. I'm with Robert O'Donnell, past district governor and recent recipient of a presidential citation. We'll hear more about that citation later in the show. Robert, you're a Toastmaster, and you've been a Toastmaster for quite a while, haven't you? 36 years. Wow, 36 years. (laughs) Where did you start Toastmasters? How did you get involved with it? Well, it's interesting is that the first time I got introduced to Toastmasters was during my college days. I was working for Social Security, and part of the program I was in, they invited us to go to a Toastmaster meeting. It was in this huge auditorium area. I was sitting way in the back, and I said, nah, this is not for me. I'm scared of speaking in public, so I'm not going to join. Seven years later, working for Computer Sciences Corporation, I saw a flyer on the, in the lunchroom that said that they were going to have a speech craft class, a, a crash course in, in public speaking. I thought, well, because I'm a technical person, I'm not good at speaking. I... Maybe I'll take this eight-week course, learn what I need to do, because I'm probably going to have to do some technical presentations, and then I'm out of there. 36 years later, I'm still a part of the organization. <laughs> you got pulled into the gravitational pull of Toastmasters. Correct. Well, great. Tell us about the first club you joined. What was the name of that first club? That was the CSC Communicators. Okay. Then they changed it eventually to El Segundo Toastmasters, and I was a member of that from... 1983 until I left uh, Sedona, I left for Sedona in 2009. And that club, when I first went to it, like I said, it was a speech craft class. And I thought, okay, this is great. And after I graduated from the speech craft class, I decided, okay, I'll join the club because they gave us an offer that you could apply some of the fees to your new membership. Mm -hmm. So three months after I joined the club, they asked me to be club secretary. <laughs> Six months later, they asked me to be club president. Wow. And then a the year after that, I was area governor, which is now called area director, but <clears throat> that's how quickly I moved up into the ranks. There you go. So for the folks online who might be listening and don't know what a speech craft is, can you give us a, a rundown on what that is? It's usually <clears throat> excuse me, about an eight-week class that covers the basics of public speaking. So usually you do two to three projects, speaking projects during that time. You learn how to evaluate. You learn how to to speak. You learn how to do table topics. And you get involved with all the different jobs, just like a regular Toastmasters club, except it's for people that normally are not members. A lot of clubs use it as a building program for their club. Sometimes if you have a few brand new members, you may start a speech craft because you want to get them accelerated into the program. Right. You, you, you got involved with this speech craft thinking it was just eight weeks, you're in and out, no sweat, and then you decided to join. Correct. And quickly learned about the leadership side of Toastmasters as well. I, I agree with it, and that's the reason actually I stay in Toastmasters. You think after... 36 years, I should know everything I need to as far as speaking skills go, but I think the main reason I stay in now is for the leadership portion. I help districts throughout the world with statistics that I've tracked since 2004. Wow. 
So almost every day I'm on the Toastmasters website <laughs> looking at the data that's out there and, and understanding and trying to explain to district leaders. I focus more nowadays on district leaders than clubs right. because a lot of people at the district leadership, they don't know what the numbers mean or how to interpret them. So I'm trying to help them with the experience I've had. Right. Well, I'm an engineer by training and a statistician by by education as well. I understand what you're saying. Not everybody does, though. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can look at numbers and read the story. Correct. You're doing that as a f service. You don't charge any money for that, right? Exactly. It's a volunteer thing. Mm -hmm. Before we get delve into you know, the statistics program you've got going, let's find out more about what happened after your area governor. Okay, well, they asked me to be division governor right after that. But I didn't feel I knew enough people in the district to jump into being a division governor. So I turned it down because I said, if I don't have the help and support that I think I need, I'm not going to be able to do the job. So I turned that down. And, and then many years later, like maybe in the area of 12 to 13 years later, they asked me to be area governor again. And it was when they asked me to be area governor for the second time, I said, why not? Sure. And I became area governor with the full intent that I was going to move up the ladder. Yeah. I was ready to. So I became area governor. And when I was area governor, the thing that I started doing was I got an assist, two assistant, one assistant I think it was. And what I did is I had her run the, the area contest. She was Toastmaster one time and chief judge the other time. So now she knew what she had to do for contests. Now, when I moved up to division, she followed me, mm -hmm. and she became an area governor underneath me. Then when I went for lieutenant governor of marketing, which was the third in command at the time, she moved up to division governor, and her assistant that she got moved up to area governor. So you've got a trail of, of new leaders right behind you. And actually... Two to three people became district governors because of that process. Right. My, my assistant eventually became a district governor, you and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, you were showing the way. Mm-hmm. So when uh, you were district governor, earlier before the recording started, I heard you say you were district governor twice. Correct. Tell us about the, the times when you were district governor. Okay, well, I ran for LGM in District 1, which is the Los Angeles area. I was not elected. So District 52, which is the San Fernando Valley and downtown L.A., that's where I lived. So I lived in District 52, but worked in District 1, and I was, District 1 is where I was weaned <laughs> and brought up. But District 52 asked me to be their chief judge for the district, so I did that. The next year, they asked me to be lieutenant governor of education and training, which is the second-in-command overseeing programs. So... I said yes to that, and that was a progression to become district governor the next year. So then I was leading around 70 clubs for that year. When I was the second in command, the first year as the, the, what they call nowadays the trio, the top three leaders, when I was in second command, we went from number 65 in the world out of 70-some districts to number 11 in the world. Hmm. So they fully expected that when I became district governor, there'd be no problem being distinguished. <laughs> I didn't make distinguished. Two, two years later, 
the district governor who actually lived in Long Beach but was working as a district governor up in our district for her second time, she resigned, I think, because of distances and things like that. They needed somebody to step in to be the, the leader that could step in and take over. The second in command was somebody that I brought in as an area governor and brought her up the line. Third in command was her son, so she brought somebody up. But neither one of them was ready to step out to be district governor. Right. So they asked me to step in, and I said, with eight months left in the term, I said, sure. Yeah. In the eight months, I was able to get them distinguished. So I've been distinguished governor and I've been a non-distinguished governor. Several things that are notable about your experience. You were initially reticent but then realize the value of what you were learning. You stepped up to the leadership positions, and when you knew that you were in over your head, you stepped back. Mm-hmm. And there's, that's a lesson that all of us can learn, is if you're not ready, step, step back and get ready. Correct. Get ready, and when the time comes, when opportunity knocks, be ready to say yes. A lot of people listening to this will probably have those opportunities in the future. Something comes up, they'll be asked to serve in some way. Mm-hmm. And I hope the answer is, if you're ready, say yes. Exactly. Yeah. So you moved from California, Southern California, where you were active. Correct. To Sedona in 2009, you said? At 2010, actually. 2010, okay. Are you active in the local clubs here in Sedona? There's only one club in, well, actually, there's now two clubs in Sedona. But when I moved here, there was only one club. And so I joined that immediately. My wife at that time, she was also a Toastmaster and past uh, district treasurer of my district. She was fighting cancer and things, and she did not join when we moved over here, but always supportive of Toastmasters. And so, yes, I have been an active member since 2010, keeping the club alive and helping whatever way I can. I've been an officer in my club and i've been actually a member of up to four clubs at one time i actually call myself tri-districtal because i was a mystical <laughs> i was a member of a district one club i was a member of district 52 club and a member of founders district which is the where toastmasters all started in orange county right. so i was a member of three clubs at one time but every year i've been a officer of some sort in at least one club except for i think about Four terms out of 36 years. Yeah. So what's the name of the Sedona Club? It's Toastmasters of Sedona. Okay. And are they doing well? Well, it's interesting. We did become Presidential Distinguished uh, two years ago, I believe it was. But we have not hit 20 members since I've been up here. It's a transitional club. It's a transient club that we have a lot of people that are here for only part of the year. And so they're not a member for a full year. And actually, most of those people... Are no longer members. I'm not sure because they've moved away or whatever. But just like any club, we have a challenge of membership. Sure. I think we can all relate to that. Everybody listening can relate to, we need more members. Correct. There's, it's a rare club that doesn't need more members. Well, great. Now it's time to get back to the the heart of the show. We, we teased it at the beginning, talking about the presidential citation. Tell us, first of all, what is a presidential citation? And then we can talk about the one that you received. A presidential citation is something given by the the international president of Toastmasters International. 
they review the application, so you have to submit an application to be considered for a presidential citation, and it's usually focused on how much help do you do to Toastmasters, how much do you actually represent the core values of Toastmasters. And then the international president decides how many of those awards are going to be given. There can be as few as 10 if there's not that many people applying or they don't seem to feel that they qualified for the for the position, the, the citation. And there couldn't be as many as, I think, 20. There, you actually look on the website and you can see a list of all international presidential citations that have been given. Yeah. My understanding is that the president has the authority and the prerogative to to make those decisions. Correct. And and it's announced at the international convention, is it not? It is, yes. When did you receive yours? I received mine last August, August 2019, in Denver, Colorado, from Lark Dolly. And Lark Dolly was the president at that time? Correct. And what was the citation for? The citation was because of my ongoing... Help to districts all over the world with the statistics. The statistics that I do. So, because of the amount of efforts that I put in, <coughs> districts, some districts that leaders have actually told me that they wouldn't have been distinguished without my statistics. Others have told me they wouldn't have been able to reach presidential citation if I didn't have the tracking that helped them <coughs> understand where they need to be by the end of the year to be presidential distinguished. What are the kinds of statistics that you gather? What what data do you actually get, and, and then uh, what do you do with it? Okay, what the data I get is exactly the same thing that anybody can get off the international website. You go to the dashboard, and you can download the information. What's interesting is when you download the information, you get different sets of data than what you see on the initial report. It breaks it down in a different way. Okay. And so I track the number of payments a district has, on a monthly basis. I track the number of charter members they have on a monthly basis. I track the number of, which I'm actually working on now, near the end of the month, I start pulling information and downloading specifics on each district and resorting the data. So I now, because of the requirements to be a distinguished district, focuses on how many distinguished clubs there are and how many clubs are a charter strength. I capture that information on every district in the world and I keep track of how many clubs have three goals in the distinguished club plan and how many clubs have five goals in the distinguished club plan. If those that may not know too much about distinguished club plan, five goals is the minimum to be a distinguished club. The reason I track three is that this tells them how many potential clubs they would have to be distinguished because they only need two more goals to make distinguished. But the other thing I track is the number of clubs at charter strength, 20 members or more. The reason I track that number is because I would say about 95% of clubs that are going to be distinguished are going to be at 20 because the requirement to be qualified for distinguished is 20 members or a net increase of five. So yes, there are some clubs that get the net increase of five, like my own club did a couple of years ago when we got presidential distinguished. We went from, I think it was... 12 to 17 members. And so we qualify to be distinguished. So I don't count track that because I never know what club is going to make that plus five, but I right. know what clubs are at 20 or more. Right. So I track that information, I chart it and I graph it. And then recently what I've been came up with soon after I became district governor was I break down 
the payment goal that the district has to the area level. Because I think that can really help a district become distinguished. Because what I see is when you're a district governor and you're telling somebody, we need 5,000 payments for the year, the area governor's going to say, or directors are going to say, how can I make a dent in 5,000? Mm-hmm. So let's clarify. When you say a payment, every time a club pays your dues to headquarters, that's one payment. That's one payment, And correct. typically, we get each member has two payments each year. Correct. So if you keep a member for a full year like myself, every year I contribute two payments to the district and to my club. Right. And Toastmasters has a goal for each district to have a certain number of payments to be called distinguished. Correct. It's about a one. Right now it's one and a half percent. It used to be three percent, but at the moment they're using one and a half percent as the goal to be distinguished. So a growth. Growth. Growth of one and a half. And so clubs or districts that have attrition, and all districts have attrition, that is members who start the year don't always end the year. Correct. You, You have to get new members, which, by the way, is why we Talk about new members so much. Yes. And why there are two goals in the Distinguished Club program for that. So you take that data, the member payments, the number of clubs, the number of clubs that are distinguished, and before the results are done at the end of the year when there's no mystery left, you break down the data, you analyze it, you show the trends, you indicate to the district leaders, here's where you need to concentrate. You show them the hot spots, the areas that need their attention. Correct. And how many districts do you do this for? At the moment, I have 20 different districts throughout the world, including Pakistan. Uh, Qatar is the first the one I just added last yesterday. Then there's other districts throughout the world that I have. So it, it's exciting for me to look like I'm an international <laughs> representative. And in many ways you are. So you're providing this help. And how long does it take you to do this? What what kind of time involvement is this for your, your volunteer? Well, because I'm retired, I can focus more time on it. So that that's a help, too. In the past, I haven't done as much details because I haven't had the time when I was working. But now that I'm retired, I can't really say per se. I mean, if I were to add up the hours in a month, I would probably be very surprised at how many hours I'm probably dealing with this as a full-time job. Yeah. You do it every day? I do it every day, yes. You get on the I com- don't update every single district every day, right. but I update a majority of them every day. Right. One of the things I wanted to mention is, going back to beginnings of this process, is the way I started working with statistics is when I became the second-in-command in the district in top leadership our region, which consisted of eight different districts, I thought, well, we should have a little competition between us. I enjoy competition. And so the idea was to to track how many different awards the districts are doing, including payments. But back then we had counts of and goals for the district to have so many competent communicators, which is the, what was the old program, that, and then advanced communicators. So... I tracked all that and compared the districts and tried to encourage people who's going to reach the award first. And we actually, we had like maybe when we met for training, we would, or the district international convention or regional convention, when we used to have those, we would uh, 
somebody who won would get a drink or something like that. I don't remember what exactly what it was. It was many years ago. But the way I came up with the initial stats of how to see where you should be, because international, the thing that people don't understand with payments is how does it, how do you relate when you're two months in? Are you doing well or are you not doing well? So I took my eight districts and tracked it for three years with the data and came up with an average. And this is where the surprising thing is with when you talk about having uh, retention is that it turns out that most districts, 80% of their final payment count is going to come from renewals and 20% is going to come from new members. If you think you're only gain, your goal is to gain one and a half percent, that's saying that you're losing 20% of your members, yeah. which unfortunately is the way th the world works. Mm -hmm. And invariably with all the districts I'm tracking, which is now is 119 different districts, that they all follow that line very tightly. But now most recently what I've done is I now have projection that I tell district, how are they doing based on their own history? Right. So for our district, like District 3, I will take the track history I have for District 3. Since 2004, I use the average growth of what they did on a monthly basis right. and say, this is where you might be if you do just what you've done in the past. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to say by the, you know, by the end of the year, I have to have so many thousand member payments. But when you're halfway through, do you have enough? <laughs> you say, well, I got plenty of time. Well, maybe, maybe not. So you do the numbers, you do the projections based on history and your personal wisdom by looking at these numbers for so long. You can dial in and tell them, look, I know you have great aspirations, but unless you change something, you're going to fall short. Correct. And you don't want to fall short. They don't want to fall short. Have you found that the district leaders are receptive to your suggestions and the analyses that you do? Well, what's interesting is that I find the people that have been less successful are more interested in the numbers. Those that have been very successful, been distinguished or better several years in a row, they're usually not interested in numbers, so they figure they know it, know it all, and they don't necessarily need it. But Qatar was number one in the world, and because a friend of theirs, another district leader, said that they've appreciated the numbers I've been giving them this year, they asked me for the same numbers. So here it is, a number one district in the world is asking me for statistics to help them make sure that they're number one again. Or to recognize that just because we're the best, that doesn't mean we can't do more. Correct. There are more Toastmaster prospects out there that we haven't reached. Mm -hmm. There are more clubs that could be formed that we haven't identified. And even though we've been very successful, we could be even more successful. Exactly. So... Winners, you know, you take this into the sports regime. A winning athlete doesn't stop training. Mm -hmm. A winning athlete doesn't stop getting coaching. You keep getting better and better. Correct. In fact, one of the things that I have found is frustration sometimes is that some leaders, when I talk to them, they said, I'm not interested in numbers. I just want to have fun. And I can understand that. However, in everything in life, how are you? Dis how is your performance determined? Your performance is determined by some kind of number system. Right. TI has theirs, and I have you know, tried to provide it for people so that they understand what they need to do. Right. 
Statistics tell a story, and you're able to see the story and then communicate it to those leaders. Whether they are math people or statistics people or not, you can translate it into terms they know how to act on. Correct. You can tell them, for instance, at this rate, you're not going to be distinguished. You're going to be 3% short. Mm-hmm. And your numbers are backed up by some experience in history. They, If they're smart, they'll listen to you and say, okay. And then they are smart enough to take their teams and say, we need to do better. We, and set some, some new milestones. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing about achieving excellence is if you can't just have an end-of-the-year goal. You Correct. need you know, monthly goals, quarterly goals, semi-annual goals, and each one of those is important to meet. My tracking tool is actually a monthly, shows a monthly goal of where they need to be on a monthly basis so that they know exactly where they are. Because like I right. said, most people don't understand that 80% of their payments are coming from renewals. Right. And there's a time element too, I know, because I used to do some statistics for Region 3. And the payments don't all come in at the same time. Mm-hmm. And some, a lot of times they come in, you know, we're all kind of waiting to the last minute to, to pay dues or, or get a club chartered. So you get, you get the data coming in in, in spurts. But you've seen those spurts. You've mm-hmm. been looking at the data. You know when those spurts happen. Because of the calendar, the Toastmaster calendar. And so you're able to guide those leaders. It's a great service, Robert. Thank you. Yeah, one of the things that when you talk about surges, the surges always happens in the last two months of the year. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's trying to be distinguished. Everybody's trying to get their district distinguished, their club distinguished, their area distinguished. So you got a lot of educational completions happening in the last two months of the year. you got a lot of payments of people trying to get their club up to 20 members. And so initially, I never factored in that search because I didn't know if it was going to happen in the next year. Now using the average, I'm averaging in whatever surge they have, but I give them both numbers. I give them the, the flat rate growth and I give them the, right. the surge growth so that right. they can understand. But I do give them some analysis of what, I, what is there. I give them suggestions. Like for instance, my suggestion always to a district is, to have the goal to charter a club one month before the close deadline that Toastmasters has. In other mm-hmm. words, try to get that club chartered by August 31st so that you get it completed by September 31st, which is the first payment dues period. Then February 28th, 29th, whatever it is, to mm-hmm. be able to get it in by March 31st. And then the last one to get May 31st so they get it in before the end of the fiscal year for Toastmasters. Right. In other words, use the calendar to your advantage. Correct. If you can. And those become great goal points. If if you didn't take that into account, you might just come up with an arbitrary goal that doesn't leverage that, that advantage. Correct. So you, you point that out to them. Yes. And make it real obvious and easy to understand. That's great. You're now doing 20 districts, you said? Correct. Are you going to keep adding? I will work with every district that asks for it. Okay. And actually, every district that I am currently working with that I've told them is feel free to pass out my information. When you go to mid-year training, which the first one just happened this weekend, that feel free to give out my information and let other people know. And if they want the information, I'll do whatever I can for them. Okay, my email address is rod, the number four, id, 
at att.net. Robert, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on your presidential citation from President Lark Doley last August. Not only do the district leaders appreciate it, but I think every member, if they really understood what you were doing, would appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me here. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. To volunteer to be featured on the podcast or to suggest future topics, write podcast at aztoastmasters.org. That email again is podcast at aztoastmasters.org. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International, other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.